Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. You are now listening to... Pat's Pulpit Podcast. All right. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Pat's Pulpit Podcast. A happy new year to everybody out there. It is 2022 somehow. We are somehow closer to 2050 than we are to 2000 to 1990, and that terrifies me, Rich Hill. <laughs> but I guess that's hard of getting older. Better than the alternative, which is not getting older. Crazy week in the NFL once again. Patriots absolutely beat the snot out of the Jaguars. Everything kind of fell in New England's way in terms of playoff picture. Patriots are in the playoffs. Lots to talk about today. How are you? Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year's. Happy New Year's to the Patriots who just had the best possible outing that you could possibly ask for against a hapless Jacksonville Jaguars team. I feel like this was exactly the game that New England needed. And so uh, what a great way to usher in the new year. No, indeed it was. I know it's the Jaguars, and the Jaguars stink even at full health, and they were not at full health. They had a lot of guys on the COVID list. But look, there are a lot of teams that play the Jaguars this season. How many put up 50 on them? Not that many. Good teams beat up on bad teams like this, and you're 100% right, buddy. This is exactly the kind of game the Patriots needed coming off that two-game losing streak. Not only that, I think it's definitely the kind of game Mac Jones needed because he hasn't really done much since before that Bills game almost a month ago. So it was great to see him get there slinging it, getting his accuracy back, getting his rapport back with his receivers, and a 50-10 to game, which is pretty much over at halftime. I mean, Rich, it was 28-3 to going into the half. <laughs> Nobody comes back from down 28 to 3. Nobody. So it was it was great to kind of sit back and just relax in the second half and just enjoy and watch guys get their groove back and, and get back into the swing of things. Um, but before we get into the game, uh, let's just go around the league really quickly. Are there any results that surprised you in week 17 of the NFL? I know the Titans beat the crap out of the Dolphins, helped the Patriots get into the postseason. The Jets almost beat the Buccaneers. Anything really stand out to you in terms of a, a huge upset you weren't expecting? Yeah, not maybe not what I wasn't expecting, um, but like two of the big games were the Bengals beating the Chiefs, uh, thirty-four to thirty-one, and that was a huge one. I mean, there were three games that you and I broke down heading into this week about what was going on around the conference, where like things could break the Patriots' way. One of them was. Uh, Bengals Chiefs, one was Raiders Colts, and one was Titans Dolphins. I think we were right on all of them on how they happened, especially with Carson Wentz being hampered by COVID. He was activated, but he was also just not good um, against the Raiders. And so the three games that went down, uh, 
perhaps all could have like technically gone the Patriots way with the Bengals beating the Chiefs 34-31, showing that teams can put up points against this Chiefs team and that Andy Reid continues to have clock management issues, which have hampered him for a very long time. Uh, the Raiders beat the Colts, which showed in my mind that, okay, I mean, the Patriots lost to the Colts. The Colts, no question, outplayed them. But it, I would imagine in a rematch, the Patriots would win that one pretty comfortably. Like the, the number of errors that the Patriots put against the Colts uh, was just horrifying. And this Colts team is very beatable. And then you have the Titans just absolutely wiping out the, the Dolphins 34 to 3. And in my mind, I think more than anything, uh, I think people are sleeping on the Titans. I don't think that they are an elite team by any measure, but like this was a good Dolphins team that they absolutely wiped the floor with. And just the, the fact that they won 34 to 3, I think people need to put a little bit more respect on the Titans name as the number one seed in the AFC because they've beaten almost every top team in the AFC other than the Patriots. Uh, and, and so uh, the fact that they continue to keep on winning despite not having Derrick Henry, uh, they are getting Julio Jones back this week. Derrick Henry could return this week. The, the band is getting back together for a Titans team that withstood all of these challenges this year. I think they are a real contender in the AFC. I mean, look, when you're the one seed, you're the one seed. There's really no way around that. They're playing the Texans next weekend. We'll talk about that in our Thursday podcast. I can't see them losing to the Texans, which means they're going to have a first-round bye in the playoffs where everyone else is, is duking it out on the field. And anything can happen in the postseason. Who knows how it's going to shake out. It was almost a perfect situation for the Patriots because despite the fact that Josh Allen played horribly, the Falcons almost took down the Bills. There was basically a scenario where Matt Ryan was down at the one-yard line to set up first and goal to bring it within one score, and he got a taunting penalty that knocked him back 15 yards. The Falcons, in true Falcons fashion, Falcons up the joint. So the Bills are still going to be in first place in the AFC East. But that's okay because the Patriots are in the postseason. They are guaranteed a slot. They're a good team on the road. And this beatdown of the Jacksonville Jaguars, Rich, it shot a good running attack. It saw a good passing attack. It saw defensive stands, three interceptions on the day. Offensive line played great. Defensive line played great. I know it's the Jaguars. You got to temper expectations. But again, like I said before, when you're playing a bad team, you want to beat them up at every single level. And that's exactly what New England did. Yeah, totally, totally. I think that this is a Patriots team that showed what they can do, uh, and especially the fact that they needed to get rid of all of the rest. I mean, I, I think this, uh, the way that they beat the Jaguars while on offense, and let's just jump right into it here, was extremely balanced. You know, they, they were able to run the ball seemingly at will, which is a great sign for their offense for how they want to play in the postseason. And like, obviously, this is not an elite Jaguars team by any mention, but like, the Patriots couldn't be stopped on the ground. Ramondre Stevenson and Damien Harris, uh, they ran for 142 yards and four touchdowns on 28 carries. That is outstanding. That is a like one of the best productions you could ask for uh, without having any real breakaway runs because Stevenson had the longest run between the two of them for 15 yards. So this was just slow, methodical, just grinding away of this Jaguars team. And so if Harris is able to stay healthy, and I would be shocked if he played against the Dolphins in the season finale as he rests up his hamstring, uh, I, I think that the, the Patriots rushing attack is in a really good spot. Where I think the best positive came, though, was in the air, because we knew that the rushing attack was going to be good. And Alec, what did you see from this Patriots passing offense? Well, I saw two things I'll highlight, Rich Hill. Uh, one is that I think eight different players caught at least one pass from Mac Jones 
Jacoby Myers caught eight, and everyone at least caught at least two or one. Uh, John Smith had one, which is good. He had a rush. Uh, Gunnar Oshesky had a pass. I think that was from Brian Hoyer. But still, the fact that eight different pat- Patriots caught a pass through the air uh, and they spread the ball out really, really well was really good. It was great to see Myers and Mac Jones get on the same page. But, Rich, if we're talking about through the air – we really would be remiss not to maybe lead the receiving game conversation without speaking of the leading touchdown scorer yes. for the New England Patriots as a receiver. Uh, practice squad standout, August Darling, relegated, hasn't seen the field since, replacing the first-round draft pick, Nikhil Harry, Christian Wilkerson. Four catches, 42 yards, two touchdowns. He probably could have had three touchdowns and like 85 yards had he managed to keep that absolute beautiful pass that mm-hmm. Mac Jones threw to him. Made it ending a third quarter around there, uh, that right off his hands. Uh, look, I mean, I know he got relegated back to the practice squad, but based on how he played on Sunday, it would not remotely surprise me if they bring him back up. Nikhil Harry's a healthy scratch next week as well, and he, our first-round draft pick that we all love so much, has maybe played his last down in New England uniform. Yeah, I honestly wouldn't be surprised by that. I, I think the way that they've been using Nikhil Harry this year is effectively as a glorified Jonu Smith. Like, if you, if his best calling card is that he is a reliable blocker on the outside, which he was, get me wrong, one of the best run-blocking wide receivers receivers in the league that's not enough honestly that is just not enough I, I know that they are a run forward team but if that is what the Patriots are planning on doing then just use Jonu Smith who is as good if not better of a run blocker uh compared to Nikhil Harry and more reliable uh for whatever value that's worth as a receiver and so for Wilkerson to go out there and as you said he should have had five for like 80 and three scores uh but the way that he was on both the same page as Mac Jones and also was running like very quality routes. He was getting separation in ways that Harry wasn't, and he was lining up all over the field. I think that's important to mention. Uh, the, the way that the Patriots utilized him was more versatile than they were using with Harry, uh, and Wilkerson was just quicker. And so one of the, the things that the Patriots have done with their receivers this year is that uh, when they're in their base, like two wide receiver sets, they will have Jacoby Myers, and then it's Ben Nelson Aguilar. Last week it was uh, Nikhil Harry when Aguilar was out. They had those two players lining up on the outside. And then when you add in Kendrick Bourne, uh, Kendrick Bourne uh, can play outsider in the slot. And so when it's been Nikhil Harry, they, they've allowed Kendrick Bourne to be in the slot. With Wilkerson, they let Bourne be on the outside. Uh, you know, they mixed and matched. Obviously, it wasn't every single time, but Bourne was able to play both in the slot and on the outside. And same with Wilkerson. And that gives the Patriots a lot more flexibility when you have two receivers, uh, three when you include Myers, that can operate both inside and outside. Uh, and honestly, I think Wilkerson is the perfect addition for what the Patriots are looking to do in the receiver room. Because he can attack the ball down the field. He's quick in the short area, so he can get that quick separation that they need that Harry has just not been able to do. And uh, he's able to play all of the same positions that Bourne can, that Myers can. And so it allows them to kind of attack the opposing defense on the offensive terms, as opposed to when you have Harry out there, the defense knows what the Patriots are going to be doing. And that kind of takes away an element of versatility. So let me ask you this then, Rich Hill, if you believe that Wilkerson is kind of uh, the answer in terms of opening up the playbook a bit more, allowing other receivers to be a little more versatile in their groupings and where they line up, et cetera. 
What took so long? Why did the Patriots wait until week 17 to activate Wilkerson off the practice squad and re-relegate re, re him to the practice squad now if he's kind of I – I know he's not the answer, but if he's really offers a, an added piece they've been missing, why did it wait till, till late December, early January to bring him up? Yeah, honestly, I mean, I think part of it is that Aguilar was doing fine. Like, honestly, the the thing with Aguilar that I feel like is kind of disappointing for everyone is that, like, he's not a bona fide number one receiver and you're paying him, like, $12 million a year or, like, whatever they're paying him. And uh, that's what, like, he's outside. He's the speedster. He's not doing it. And I think people are disappointed by that. But the Patriots are very happy with what Nelson Aguilar has been doing out there. He, he's uh, not doing... Uh, like a lot from a like production standpoint uh 450 receiving yards three touchdowns but like in the context of nelson Aguilar, that's pretty usual for him like if you look at his time in philly this is exactly his stat line <laughs> like this is literally what he's done for his entire career outside of that one time with the raiders where last year we had 900 yards and eight touchdowns and Obviously, the Patriot. I, I believe in Aguilar. I know the way that his contract is uh, structured is that like he has to come back next year. Like they just like made it up that way. Uh, there's like so much dead cap that it doesn't make sense to move him. Uh, and so as Mac Jones is allowed to operate a little bit more, perhaps those passes down the field will become more available. But the reason why I don't think they needed to activate Wilkerson is because like. Aguilar is still good. I mean, he, the, like Wilkerson had a great day. Don't get me wrong. Al Aguilar is a faster player. He does a lot on the outside that allows more players to move on the inside. So like he offers a different element than what Wilkerson does. And the when Aguilar went out, they tried to give Harry some space. And like you can't say Belichick hasn't given Harry all the opportunities in the world to try and succeed at receiver. He just hasn't been able to do it. And I think that was basically, you know, Harry has negative value add on special teams. We've seen that. And as a result, Wilkerson can do that special teams role and can be more effective on offense. And so it's really just a Harry versus Wilkerson uh, sort of justification for elevating Wilkerson. Whereas if Aguilar is able to go, I wouldn't, I still expect Aguilar to be the starter. If you had to guess, Rachel, and again, we'll get more into it on our Thursday podcast. But if you had to guess right now, as of Tuesday, you think Wilkerson gets a start over Harry uh, against the Dolphins? Oh, absolutely. absolutely. I wouldn't be surprised if they hold Aglor out and Harris out and a lot of players that are super nicked up uh, just because like, OK, yeah, they could win the division if they beat the Dolphins. I think it's also just more important to be as healthy as possible heading into the postseason because like the odds of the Jets beating the Bills don't seem great. Like it's possible. Don't get me wrong, but it's not great. And so I would rather Aglor, who has a head injury, be available in the postseason, be in his best possible shape, because the head injury is not something you mess around with. And so I, I wouldn't be surprised if Wilkerson got that start again. Um, and honestly, I think he deserves it. I think he could uh, go out there and have a pretty solid day. Um, he played 83% of the snaps against the Jaguars uh, and also forged snaps on special teams. I would be, I would kind of expect him to do that again. I, I think that like makes sense for him. Um, to be able to have those same opportunities. Uh, you know, Kendrick Bourne can continue to be wide receiver number three, Wilkerson and Myers as your top two. And I imagine that the Patriots would love to just get another tune-up game against like a quality Dolphins team to show that the production that they had against the Jaguars was not just a flash in the pan, but was actually something sustainable. 
Yeah, I mean, it's good to keep in mind as well, if you go all the way back to the August preseason game, you know, Wilkerson and Mac Jones, they had a rapport. They really were. I mean, he was one of the guys that you and I were talking about in our preseason at the potential guy that we're, we're going to fall in love with and then never see again, which which came true until this past weekend. And so Mac Jones does seem to trust him to a degree. Maybe he never quite managed to do with Harry. Uh, all across the league, it's pretty ubiquitous. That wide receiver quarterback relationship has to be really good and they have to be on the same page. They're not going to get as many touches or as many looks. And it just seems to be that he's already with Mac Jones at a level that him and Nikhil Harry never were able to quite get to. Uh, speaking of Mac Jones, Rich Hill, I'll tell you, I don't know if it was just breaking, shaking some rust off or because it was kind of warm uh, in Foxborough on Sunday or maybe his, his non-throwing hand injury has healed. Whatever the case may be, uh, Mac Jones' accuracy and his touch seem to come back in a way it hasn't in recent weeks. Again, that might just be a reflection of just how poor the secondary was with guys being injured and whatnot, but he was placing the ball in very good spots, putting it only his receivers could get it. Like I said, he had that beautiful uh, throw to Wilkerson that he couldn't quite haul in. Jacoby Myers' second touchdown was a really beautiful corner route right in the breadbasket. Accuracy really seems to be coming back, and I'm really good to see. Yeah, totally. I, I agree with that. I mean, I, I think part of it, he has been dealing or had been dealing with a hand injury. And then also you just deal with that rotating cast of players at the receiving room. You, like, you lose Aguilar against the Colts. You try and make Nikhil Harry a thing against the Bills. Not like those are both negative uh, things for this offensive production. And so that's like arguably a good enough reason to say like, all right, how creative can we continue to be? Because uh, the wide receiver room was limited. Uh, you know, it's, you think of the 2016 to like 2018 Patriots, I believe, with you know, like Chris Hogan was your like number three target in the offense. Like when you removed him, you removed that vertical component. Then the Patriots were very contained to the middle of the field, and that's what happened when they had uh, when they lost Nelson Aguilar. Opposing teams could just sit in the middle of the field, and that's what the Bills did. Um, and like it's just not conducive to a sustainable offense. And what they showed against the Jaguars is that they could, they could attack the outside. Like obviously the Jaguars are not a great team. But that's where the accuracy for Mac Jones really impressed me the most is that he did not just attack the middle of the field. He was going off to the sides uh, against that zone defense of the Jaguars, uh, and he got into that rhythm. He was moving quickly. He wasn't affected by the pressure. And I, I think that, uh, you know, for his accuracy to go up because he was attacking the sidelines shows that he has the capability to have a fully well-rounded game. Uh, and if he can put that together against the Dolphins and then again against whichever team they face in the playoffs, I mean, honestly, I I, I do think that the sky's the limit with Mac Jones right now, um, but this game against the Jaguars, which is such a good sign for what he can do moving forward. Uh, speaking of sky's the limit and what he can do moving forward, let's talk about the other quarterback from this year's draft class. Number one overall pick, Trevor Lawrence. Oh. That poor, poor bastard. I, really <laughs> feel I do think Lawrence is going to have a good career. I think he's a good player. He's smart. He's got good, good tangibles. He just had no chance. On Sunday, the three, I think the three of the five offensive linemen were out. The receivers were banged up. They just couldn't get anything going at any point. 193 yards, one TD came in garbage time, three interceptions. Miles Bryant got one. J.C. Jackson got one, shockingly. And Kyle Duggar got one, all of which were, were backbreakers. They only played a small handful of snaps inside of New England territory. This game was over before halftime, like I said. Would you say this was more just an awful offensive Jaguars performance or the Patriots defense getting it together and stepping it up? 
Yeah, I mean, you you don't stop any team in the NFL to the degree that the Patriots did without it being a good defensive day. So, like, that's absolutely uh, place number one to start. I think it is also fair to say that this Jaguars team is atrocious. When Laquan Treadwell is your top receiver and, like, three of his catches were circus catches that shouldn't have happened, but, like, were all just random rolls of the dice, like, that can and will and does happen, but, like, all right. Whatever. Like, this was not a good day for the Jaguars. Trevor Lawrence did not have a good outing. Uh, and the coaching staff of the Jaguars just do not call good offenses. And, I mean, you look at some of the people on their staff. I believe Brian Schottenheimer is their quarterback's coach and their play game coordinator. And, like, it shows. they. This is just, like, such a throwback team to, like, the 90s or early 2000s where the, they just haven't evolved with the times. Daryl Bevel and Brian Schottenheimer combined to be just such a two of like the more outdated coaching minds in the entire league. And then you add in all the issues that they had with Urban Meyer. And it's very clear that this team just was dead in the water. Uh, and, and so like, you, I honestly don't think you can evaluate Lawrence off of this year where like, obviously he wasn't doing things well, but he has had zero opportunities to succeed here with just a terrible receiver room and just an even worse coaching staff. Hundred percent. I mean, again, I don't think anybody has expectations on him this year, and the Jags look like they have the inside track for another number one pick. I think they've already locked up at least a two pick at this point. They can definitely get another number one pick with a loss next week, combined with a or a Lions loss, I believe. Luckily for me, I'm not up to date on my first round draft picks because the Patriots don't have to worry about that just yet. <laughs> but from a defensive standpoint, yeah, I mean, look, there's things I really like. I like to see, I think Hightower probably played his best game. He looked to be much more back in command. He had a huge sack to start the game. I was really happy to see Chase Winovich get some more reps with Matt Judon. Very, very limiting. He only played 10 snaps, Judon, because he came off the COVID list. Maybe Winovich is going to get back and is a situational pass rusher. But more importantly, man, there's just something about Christian Barmore that blows mm-hmm. me away anew every single time I see the guy play. I almost feel bad for him because in any other year, we would be singing his praises so much more heavily, but he's being overshadowed by by situational opposition. This is a quarterback who's playing really well. But Christian Barmore may shake out to be one of maybe the best draft picks Belichick's ever had when it's all shaken out. Yeah, honestly, I feel like Barmore is the type of player that Belichick has been looking for for years on that defense. I mean, Adam Butler played it very well. Like, don't get me wrong. Adam Butler did a great job at that role. Uh, but Barmore has stepped in as a rookie playing better than Butler ever did. Uh, and he's continuing to improve. And so, like, he's coming in as a viable starter. He's a great rotational piece. He's obviously being used on passing downs. That's how they've decided to use him. Uh, so, like, whenever the Patriots have a big lead, Barmore will play more. And so when the Patriots win, it is likely that Barmore is going to have more standout plays just because he's going to play more. Um, but I, I honestly think that this is as good of a rookie season as you could have expected. I believe, uh, according to Pro Football Focus, he has more pressures as a defensive, like interior, like defensive tackle player uh, as a rookie as they've ever tracked. Like he's having one of the most productive rookie seasons ever for a defensive tackle. And I mean, it's a testament to how he's been able to grow, how the coaches have been able to put him in a position to succeed. Uh, And also, like, I think it just means that he's going to continue to get better because I feel like personally, whenever we have a really good defensive lineman on the Patriots uh, during Belichick's tenure that is able to produce as a rookie, they kind of turn into like Hall of Fame caliber players, like, like in the way that Barmore is doing, right? 
when you have Seymour standing out as a rookie, when you have Will Fork standing out as a rookie, like as rotational pieces, as Barmore has been a rotational piece, that just usually means that the second year jump is when they ascend to like Pro Bowl, All Pro level. Totally, man. Really looking forward to seeing him develop, have a full, maybe more normal offseason coming up. We'll see what happens. But again, they're really coming in sort of the right time. And should the Patriots make some noise in the postseason, which they may or may not do, anything goes in January, they're going to have to be better at stopping the run of the line of scrimmage. They have some really good running attacks coming up as potential opponents for them. So it's going to be very important for him and the rest of that defensive line to continue doing what they did, build off that, that week they had on Sunday against the Jaguars. Uh, Richo, one thing I want to talk about is kind of a negative. It's been a negative for a while, not a while, but it's been a, it's popped up. It's reared its ugly head now and then throughout the course of the season. And it's such an odd thing because it's something Bill Belichick talks about at length. He covets. You can get him to wax poetic about it forever. And it's a special teams unit. Yep. Uh, another blocked kick, uh, a missed snap on the field goal. Again, didn't really matter in this particular game, but those two points – could, in theory, be the difference between a having to go forward on fourth down or kicking a field goal. Yep. We had the block punt against the Colts. We're not doing well on the returns. This special teams unit may be the, the weakest in the Belichick era, and that's just so weird to me because there's no one that values special teams in field position and three-phase football more than Bill Belichick. What's going on here? Yeah, totally. I mean, I think that's a huge thing. Um, I think Football Outsiders, uh, who has the DVOA state stats, so like production over expectation based off of scenarios and stuff like that, has uh, the Patriots – with a positive contribution from their special teams unit dating back to like 1994, I want to say they've had a not just a like a good one, but like a very positive adding uh, special teams unit. And they are in the negative this year. And with their output against the Jaguars, I imagine they are like solidifying this as the first negative year from their special teams unit uh, in a very, very, very long time. And part of me is like surprised because like Nick Folk's having a career year. Right. Like, I, I think uh, he's only yeah. missed three kicks and they've all been 50 plus yarders. Um, yes, he's mixed, missed a few extra points, but like everyone does. I, I think uh, Jake Bailey has been like fine on, uh, you know, kickoffs and also on punts. Like the challenge in my mind comes from like the coverage units. It's and like just like the huge mental errors. Like you have the Nikhil Harry fumble. You have the block punt against the Colts. There's just been like individually enormous mental breakdowns uh, where it's like overall they're like still pretty good it's just that the mistakes have been bigger and they haven't had a corresponding positive play on uh the other side right like the the number of like really great returns that they've had uh in the return game uh is not a lot i think uh, gunner has a 27 yard punt return as his season long uh and the season long for a kick return is the 37 yards also from gunner and like this is not a patriots team that uh, is used to not having great special teams plays like uh, the number of like blocked kicks and punts like is just not the same and so for the Patriots to be where they are they are uh, kind of similar to what they've been doing on offense when you think of it like uh, they've been forcing a lot of turnovers but they've also been giving the ball over a little bit more than they have done historically and it, it shows and so I, I think that's what's been going on with the special teams unit it's not that there's anything like drastically bad it's just that the just playing the percentages they've had uh, a lot of really bad big plays go against them um, and also have not been able to generate as many big plays as they usually do 
Yeah, well, whatever it is, again, it's just been a, a season-wide issue or a season-long issue, I should say. I don't see it magically correcting itself, but, you know, field position battle is going to be so crucial. All right? It makes you think back to the 2006 divisional game at San Diego against the Chargers where New England had to basically engineer 90-plus yard drives all game long, and they couldn't get it together until the very, very end. I just don't personally want to see Mac Jones forced into these long, long fields come the postseason, so I don't know. What they're going to do about it, it might just be it is what it is at this point. And, I mean, you can go back to 2015. Was it the the, the miss extra point against the Broncos in the yep. A's championship game? Like, the, these things add up. You know, it didn't really matter against the Jacksonville Jaguars, but it likely will matter when the playoffs start for real. So hopefully they will they will fix that. Uh, otherwise, though, man, you know, it's really tough to pick too many nits about a 50-10 to 10 win. That guarantees you a postseason berth. Another 10-win season for Bill Belichick. Congratulations to him. As you mentioned, exactly what we needed to get off the schneid a bit. A uh, little quick preview of the, the next week's game. The Dolphins at Miami, Rich. The The Dolphins are coming off a 34-3 beatdown. They're officially out of postseason contention, but they would love to play spoiler and help the Patriots guarantee they will not clinch the AFC East no matter what happens between the Bills and the Jets. Any early thoughts about that horror show that is at Miami late in December that we've experienced in the past? <laughs> well, uh, let's get weird. Uh, I am excited <laughs> for the Patriots to play uh, the most normal game you could possibly expect against this Dolphins team. And that's all you can ask for is for nothing silly to happen. <laughs> um, but if something silly does happen and the, you know, the miracle in Miami goes down, honestly, that is one of my favorite plays of the past five years. Uh, and like, I don't care that the Patriots lost that one because also in this game, there's no real stakes. It's the final game of the regular season. The Patriots are in the postseason. Maybe they have that like 10% chance of winning the division. And if they lose, they can't possibly do it. Whatever. Just stay healthy. Just stay safe. I, I think the best thing that the Patriots could do coming in and out of this Dolphins game is suffer no more injuries, no more COVID cases. So if they can do that, then I would consider it a win regardless of the actual game score. No, I'm with you on that. This game's not going to matter that much to me. I, I'd be happy using it as a mini bye week, accepting the fact that you're a wild card, especially with the Patriots being pretty good on the road this year. They've only lost one game on the road so far, so uh, I would be totally fine with that as well. Hopefully they can all stay healthy, and if they come out of Miami with a win to generate some more momentum, great, but if they don't, that's okay too. I'm with you on that one. Yeah, all right. Well, we'll break that down on a third Thursday podcast. Alec, do you have any final thoughts on week 17 of the not finale of the, the 2021 season? Yeah, that feels weird, right? Week 17's over. One more week to go, and it's not the playoffs. Once again, the madness continues. All right. Well, until next time, Alec, you have a good one. Thank you, buddy. See you. Later. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. 
With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical.